This is the Speaking of Writers podcast. I'm Steve Richards. Over a century after Coco and Antoinette Chanel opened their first hat shop in Paris, Chanel is without a doubt still the most iconic fashion brand in the world. And this year is the 50th year since businesswoman and creative genius Coco Chanel has passed away. Award-winning author Judith Little has crafted a stunning historical novel that traces the struggle of the sisters as they rise from orphanhood and poverty, always knowing they were destined for something more. The book is The Chanel Sisters, told from the point of view of younger sister Antoinette, a particularly authentic narrator who knew Coco in the intimate way only a sister can. Set from 1897 to 1921, Antoinette takes readers through the humble beginnings and ambitious rise of the sisters against the backdrop of Parisian life as they come to create what we know today as the timeless and endlessly elegant international fashion label. Judith Little is the award-winning author of Wickwood Hall. She earned a B.A. in Foreign Affairs from the University of Virginia and a law degree from the University of Virginia Law School. Grew up in Virginia, now lives with her family in Houston, Texas. Happy to have Judith Little join me now here on Speaking of Writers. Judith, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So what inspired you to write this novel? I was inspired by Antoinette Chanel herself when I learned that Coco Chanel had a younger sister. It surprised me. I think that we think of Coco today as this iconic figure who rose to the top alone. And the idea that she had a sister humanized her to me. And I thought that uh, the sister of Coco Chanel definitely would have a story to tell what it would be, I didn't know. So I started researching, and then I found that Antoinette really played a important role in the founding of the Chanel brand, and no one had ever heard of her. So I wanted to bring her story to light and put it on the page and uh, let people know her contributions and also see a side of Coco that a sister would know and that Coco didn't particularly want the world to know. So what was Coco Chanel like? Well, I think it varies depending on her age, but she. this story is starts when they are young in a convent orphanage where they were abandoned by their father after their mother died, and it ends in 1921, which is just after Coco becomes famous and wealthy, and I think she, she did have some enduring qualities. She was definitely very determined. She was a very hard worker, which in part she learned from the nuns at the convent. She always was an independent thinker. She didn't follow trends. She had her own ideas. And in part, I think that might have been because she didn't have any money, so she couldn't afford to dress in the ways that the wealthy women did. So she imposed her own style and was not afraid to do so. You know, she didn't have anything to lose coming from the background that she came from. And so she was just very tenacious, strove for what she wanted. Chatting with Judith Little here on Speaking of Writers, her new novel is The Chanel Sisters. Judith, what are the challenges in writing historical fiction? One of the challenges is the research. There's not a lot known about Antoinette. So piecing together her story was a bit of a challenge. There are certain things that we know about her that are found in Coco's biographies, but Coco's biographers had their hands full, I think, with Coco. So most of them didn't spend any time on Antoinette. So I spent a lot of time trying to see what I could find about her 
in French census records and old French newspapers, wherever I could find it to piece together her story and ended up finding a lot in what I didn't find to tell me more about her than what I did find. Uh, For instance, she was not mentioned in the newspapers and neither was Coco, which surprised me because I was thinking really in a modern mindset that, of course, Coco Chanel would be in the newspapers, but she wasn't famous at the time and nobody knew of her. And she was also a tradeswoman. She wasn't part of society at all. And so there was no mention of them in the newspapers until I came across some mentions of Antoinette in a very small section of the uh, French newspaper Le Monde, where it talks about where people are traveling. Um, Just a little mention, not a society type of mention, but it would say Antoinette Chanel to Biarritz or to Paris or to DeVille. And I couldn't figure out for the longest time what that meant. It wouldn't be just her. There would be other names, too, of random people who she didn't know. And then I finally realized that this was her way of telling clients of the business where she was going to be. And that way they could find her in which location and that she played, you know, this this wasn't the only evidence, but that she was an important part of the business, that these clients who were all very wealthy, picky women wanted to know where she was and it was important to them. And she was, in effect, a modern businesswoman at a time when they're really, that was not very common at all. Did you travel to Paris pre-pandemic as part of your research? I spent time in Paris. I studied there for a little while and I've made several trips there. I didn't go for the specific purpose of researching the novel, but uh, having lived there, you know, I do have a sense of what Paris is like. I did do some, and this is sort of good pandemic fun, some Google Earth traveling uh, on my computer at home. The girls had lived for a time at a pensionat in Moulin, France, where uh, they were still under the care of nuns and I wanted to find where it was. I wanted to know where in Mulan it was, you know, what it was near when they were walking to mass, you know, what did they pass by? So, but there was no address for it. And I kind of had an idea of where I thought it would be. So I just got onto Google earth and started walking down the streets. And then lo and behold, I pretty much just ran into the door that said pension out Notre Dame. It's abandoned now. It's not still a school. Uh, And so there I was, and then I could walk up and down the streets, and uh, there was a great chocolate store along the way. And, um, you know, for a historical fiction writer, that's, uh, you know, a pretty exciting thing, although it's probably pretty mundane to anybody else. So I want to talk to you about your writing process. You had all this research. You did the Google Earth uh, tours, virtual tours for this book, the Chanel Sisters. So when you had all of that info, do you use did you use an outline for this book, or did you let the story unfold as you were writing it? Little of both. There's always an inherent outline with historical fiction, so I don't have to make up every single thing that happens. But filling in the blanks is the harder part, and remembering that. These characters had no idea what was going to happen next, even though we all do know what's going to happen next. So you have to write with that mindset. And then just 
you know, there are surprises along the way. I think a lot of writers will say that sometimes the characters take over and, and sometimes they do, even if it is historical fiction and you do know uh, what's going to happen next. Uh, there are times when it can kind of go off in a tangent, but that's still relevant to the story, which is always fun. So it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a combination of the two. What's harder, Judith, starting a book or ending it? Oh, that's a, um, that's a good question. For me, starting a book is extremely hard. The endings have always, for some reason, come somewhat naturally to me. I don't know why, uh, but the beginning is really difficult. And it's always hard to know where to start your story because, of course, you want the beginning to be, you know, good. You want the reader to keep reading it. And I'm in a writing critique group that I've been in for over 16 years with some other published authors. And we all struggle with the beginning. I mean, we laugh now about some of the beginnings we've had in books and where it is now. Um, but I think starting out, starting out with a blank page is always difficult because I think a lot of people who want to write are afraid to just write down the you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes out in a first draft, and even I do, but you just have to kind of grin and bear it and get it all out there and have something to work with and forge ahead. You have three teenagers. Uh, how did you, and how do you balance parenting and writing? They're, they're a bit older now. They're on the older side of teenagers, so it's been better. <laughs> the... I started writing when they were young, when they were toddlers, in part as sort of therapy and escape from the craziness of toddlers and as a way to go into this world where I could invent characters who would actually do what I told them to do and, um, you know, not throw temper tantrums unless I wanted them to throw temper tantrums. So writing when the kids were younger was really a great escape for me uh, and a way to go into a grown-up world and it still is a, an escape for me even now that they're older it's a stress reliever for me um a place where you know i can kind of turn off the world turn off the news turn off what's ever happening in my day and finding the time is the harder part i think for most people i am one of those who can i just write whenever i can whenever i can fit it in i don't have a set schedule judith was there a moment in your life when you knew you were a pretty good storyteller? No, not really. I knew I was a good writer. I had always been able to write. I had the advantage of having uh, both my parents were English teachers at one point. So they would always, you know, from the time I was young, they would always correct my work and edit me so that that kind of came naturally to me. But with my first book, Wickwith Hall, that was where I learned the difference between being a good writer and being a good storyteller. And it's a huge difference. And I, in, in working on that book and going through the process of finding an agent and getting it published, that was how I actually learned to tell a story through the rejection. And I would get feedback from different agents. I would get rejections, but I would get feedback, which was helpful. Then I would go back and rewrite and then send it out again. And eventually I really learned, you know, how to tell a story that way. And what are the ingredients you th do you think that make up a great storyteller? I think there are, well, you have to be willing to listen to others. 
I think I'm sure there are many natural storytellers, but one part of telling a story is effectively communicating what you mean to communicate. And a lot of times we think we're doing that, but we're actually not. And that is where I think a writing or critique group really can help. It's helped me a lot uh, when you realize that you think you're saying something, but you're saying something completely different. And there's also pacing is difficult. Uh, I mean, that's why, you know, there's, there's so many editors and, you know, it's a process. It's really somewhat of a group effort. So I think a big part of being a good storyteller is listening to others, listening to constructive criticism, uh, be willing to take that and go back and uh, work on your story so that you are communicating the story that you want to communicate. Listeners can connect with you online. You're on Instagram at Judith Little. That's Judith with an E. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Judith Little. Final question, Judith, are you working on another novel? And if so, can you give us a sneak peek into what it's about? Sure. I am working on another novel. I'm not very far into it, but this one is another historical fiction, and it takes place in Paris in the 1920s and 1930s, and it's a story about friendship. All right. The book out now is The Chanel Sisters by Judith Little. Judith, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And this is Speaking of Writers.